Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, Americans are clearly frustrated with our two-party system. Gallup found earlier this year the desire for a national third party to be at a record high, a stat cited this week by Andrew Yang and others as they announced their new forward party. But third parties have struggled to amass the political power needed to challenge the dominance of Democrats and Republicans or have been viewed as spoilers. So are things different now? We look at third parties in national and California politics and hear from you, have you, would you support a third party? What would its platform be? Join us. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Former presidential candidate Andrew Yang, former New Jersey Governor Chrissy Todd Whitman, and other independent Republican and Democratic politicians announced this week they're launching Forward, a new centrist political party that they say will be fueled by today's disenchanted voters and will succeed where other national third parties have historically failed. For more on that, we're joined first by Tina Wen, national correspondent and founding partner of Puck, a digital media organization. Welcome to Forum, Tina. Thank you so much for having me. Great to have you. Andrew Yang said he was launching this party well before this week, right? Yeah. So the current iteration of the Forward Party is actually a merger of several different parties, of which his initial Forward Party was one of them. Uh, but I believe it's three groups that have decided to coalesce all of their resources together with one specific goal of providing an alternative to the two-party system, but in a way that I actually kind of find fascinating in that they're, yeah, they're probably going to try to field candidates, but their primary issue is reforming the political system from within by changing the incentive structures of voting. (laughs) (laughs) So who has Yang been able to pull into the fold? Who are these other parties that are involved? Um, Off the top of my head, there was a group founded by David Jolly, who is a former um, Republican congressman, a couple other people, obviously the Christine Todd Whitman thing. But Andrew Yang, I think, would be is the figurehead of this group, primarily because he's one, the most famous and two, he broke into the political conversation with a completely out-of-the-box radical idea back in 2019, where he was like, hey, um, so I'm running for president as a Democratic candidate, and 
my idea is universal basic income, free money for everyone. And that was just such a mind-blowing idea for the Democratic electorate and I guess the country's electorate overall that you could easily associate the ideas, the philosophy behind the forward party to what Andrew Yang has talked about over the past several years. Yeah, you mean he's trying to use that as a way to help people think of forward as something sort of revolutionary or new or something that will really do a lot to shift our political system. They've also talked about how they want to reinvigorate a fair, flourishing economy, though folks have been asking about some specifics for them, which I imagine they're going to hammer out when they do their official launch a little later this year. I would hope so. Um, that was one of the criticisms that people had against Andrew Yang for the longest time, which was, you look, you've got a uni- your your idea of universal basic income, which is one of the principles of this current party. Cool, you're going to give people five thousand dollars. Was it? It was like either five thousand or twelve thousand, some number like that. Um, and that's going to solve things exactly how because that prog- that hasn't been really tested in a lot of communities outside of like one or two towns so he's often been accused of having a bit of a pie in the sky mentality when it comes to economic principles um but for yeah. me what i find fascinating is the idea of bringing this ranked choice open primary system to voting uh he recently talked about this in the new yorker where he was like Look, one of the perverse incentive structures of our current two-party system is that, one, closed primaries, meaning that only Democrats can vote in a Democrat primary or Republicans can vote in a Republican primary, mean that the most extreme uh, diehard factions of the base get to pick who their candidates are, meaning everyone else who's not as invested in a specific ideological agenda when November rolls around, they've got some choices that are like a little too out of the box for them. And that's one of the things that they want to address. Mm. The second one is ranked choice primary in which you've got several candidates in a general election and you get to vote along like, who would you prefer to be your elected official most? If not that person, who's the other person you can get behind and so forth and so forth and you tabulate it in a way that eventually gets to a candidate that everyone's kind of okay with even if it's not the person that they're really raring to get Hmm. so he's really focused and this group is focused on the mechanics of voting which in many ways could also make third parties more viable really quick before i let you go tina I mentioned in the intro that major third party attempts haven't fared well. Why do Yang and others think this time will be different? What did they point to? Well, one, there's a lot of polling that suggests that Americans really would like a third option. But the thing that fascinates me about this move is that with other third party runs, they've always been focused on candidates at high profiles like Ralph Nader or... Um, who ran specifically as an alternative for president or, I don't know, say in the Senate. But you don't see third-party alternatives happen in the House. You definitely don't see them happen at the state level in the state legislatures, very rarely as a governor. And further down the line, school board races, city councils, those don't exist. You basically have two parties 
one of which the Republican Party is way more invested in getting specifically specific ideologues into smaller offices like you're seeing in Florida right now with school board races. So what I think is happening here is an opportunity to inject more moderate, less ideologically um, incentivized candidates across the board. And if they can keep their mission focused on the mechanism of the party rather than we're going to find some candidates to promote this ideal and then just like hammer the living daylights out of them on t- through cable news and debates and formats that kind of prioritize glitz and glamour over the actual process of governing then you know they could be successful although it's yeah. not exactly the sexiest um it's a it's hard to pitch but it yeah. could work yeah well tina wen national correspondent and founding partner of digital media organization puck thanks so much for joining us this is great thanks for having me Joining me now are Eric Schickler, co-director of the Institute of Governmental Studies at UC Berkeley. Hi, Eric. Hi, Mina. And Mindy Romero is with us, founder and director of the Center for Inclusive Democracy. Hi, Mindy. Hello. Good to be here. Good to have you. So, Eric, let me start with you. I want to take a step back for a moment and talk about why it's been so hard for third parties to thrive and grow. We should mention there are a lot of alternative parties out there, but why is it so hard for them to challenge the dominance of the existing two parties? So I think the biggest reason is that the electoral rules themselves really stack the deck in favor of having two major parties. And in particular, uh, in the vast majority of races, you have a single winner. That winner doesn't need to get an overall majority. uh, And it's Essentially, whoever gets the most votes wins. It's called uh, plurality rule, uh, first past the post. And what that means is that when you have a third party, um, there's always going to be the concern that you're taking away votes from another candidate who may not be your ideal choice, but you like better than the alternative. So, uh, again, the Ralph Nader case kind of looms very large in people's minds where, say, somebody who was a progressive may not have loved Al Gore. But by voting for Ralph Nader, you know, in many people's view, that made it easier for George W. Bush to get elected. Mindy, would you agree? And what else would you add to why it's been so challenging for third parties? Well, I think Eric's absolutely right. It really comes down to the structure of our current political system that really disincentivizes people to vote for a third party, to identify even with a third party. If we take a step back for a moment, you know, people uh, need to feel like they, that their vote matters, right? They need to feel like an election is salient. If an election is competitive, that's one of the main ways we can predict how high turnout is going to be. And in, in our two-party dominant system with, uh, you know, things like, for the most part, categorical ballots and single-member districts. We don't have a lot of, and as Eric said, majority rule or plurality rule, we don't have a lot of competition. And so people really feel often that even if they have uh, identify with a party and are voting for a party, they're not necessarily terribly enthusiastic about it. And we have lots of survey data that shows that people are questioning to uh, the dominant parties and have been for quite a long time. Uh, and they feel like they're making this terrible choice, right, between maybe what might be something that is closer to them and their belief system. Um, And 
also, let's just be, be, be really realistic. The existence, the current set of political parties that we have, for instance, in our state, there are requirements. Um, there are only six parties that are officially recognized by the, by the Secretary of State's office. Uh, legal requirements about what gets recognized. Um, the kind of political machine that can produce a party, it just makes it very hard for third parties to exist, aside from even the the challenge to get voters to vote for them just to exist and operate um, and therefore also making them right weaker in the eyes or less viable in the eyes of voters. Yeah. And, and you've kind of touched on this, but Eric, too, just straight up resources in terms of just huge advantages when it comes to resources uh, that the Democrats and Republicans have, resources that they can use to keep out other parties from gaining dominance besides the infrastructure, as you're talking about, that they've built over so long. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, I mean, just simply the need to get on the ballot across 50 states, each with their own rules and laws, dealing with campaign finance requirements that vary a lot across states. So it just essentially requires assembling a kind of an army of both volunteers and also campaign donors and consultants, typically. And that's very hard to do from scratch. We're talking about the history and viability of third parties in the U.S. and in California in the wake of Andrew Yang's announcement this week that he, together with former New Jersey Republican Governor Christy Todd, Christine Todd Whitman, former Florida Republican Congressman David Jolly and others, are forming a political party called Forward that's designed to appeal to centrists. Eric Schickler is co-director of the Institute of Governmental Studies at UC Berkeley. Mindy Romero is founder and director of the Center for Inclusive Democracy, a nonpartisan research center at the University of Southern California. And we want to hear from you, listeners. Are you a member of a third party? Why or why not? Have you voted for a third party candidate in the past? Uh, if you were to consider a third party, what would its platform need to be? You can email us, forum at kqed.org. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. We're at KQED Forum. Or you can give us a call. We're at 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. More after the break. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. 
We're talking about the viability of third parties in the U.S., the history of third parties in the U.S. with Mindy Romero, founder and director of the Center for Inclusive Democracy, and Eric Schickler, co-director of the Institute of Governmental Studies this hour. Let me tell you what we're going to do next week. Even as we're seeing more on-screen depictions of disability in films like Coda and Sound of Metal, the number of disabled people behind the camera remains low, and that affects what stories and the accuracy of stories that are told. So we'll talk with disabled artists in California who are advancing the cultural landscape of disability storytelling and hear from you what stories you would like to see told. You can email forum at kqed.org or leave us a voicemail at 415-553-3300. Again, that's our show for Monday. Our show for today, if you want to tell us if you're a member of a third party or if you would support a third party and what that platform would look like, you can do so by emailing forum at kqed.org, calling us at 866-733-6786, or finding us on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram at KQED Forum. This listener writes, while I support the impetus for this party, I think they must get voter protections and proper ranked choice voting in place across the nation first before they field candidates. Under current conditions, with so many Republicans still trying to destroy democracy, if they field candidates without ranked choice voting, they will, without question, once again, be a spoiler, which could spell the end of democracy. Eric, before the break, you mentioned Ralph Nader. And I guess I do wonder if part of the reason that people do not pull the lever uh, when push comes to shove for a third party candidate, even if they feel like it better reflects their views, is because they are reminded uh, about Ralph Nader's candidacy. Some would even point to Jill Stein. Some have felt that the data have borne out that if everyone had voted for Clinton or given, if all the Stein votes had gone to Clinton, for example, Clinton would have won the presidency. Do you think that that puts a cloud over third parties too? Yeah, I definitely think that's a specter that hangs over any third party effort today. And I I think that is one reason why it does make sense that, that this new party is at least putting forward reforms like ranked choice voting as a top priority, because you really, as the listener points out, you really do need that for third parties to be viable. Um, so so I, I do think that's an important specter. I'd also emphasize that, you know, traditionally one of the main justifications for third parties was that there's not much difference between the two main parties. Mm-hmm. And I think as the listener's comment pointed out today, I mean, they're pretty stark differences between Democrats and Republicans today. And I think that makes it a lot harder for voters to risk this this wasted vote, because for the vast majority of voters, you know, one party or the other is really much closer to them than the than the opponent. Let me go to caller Tracy in Blue Lake. Hi, Tracy. Yes. Hi. Um, Can you hear me or do I I turn my radio off? If you could turn it down, sure. But go right ahead, Tracy. Okay, great. So I love the idea of third and multiple parties, um, you know, because so often we are voting for the lesser of two evils rather mm-hmm. than voting for what we really want to vote for. And it's very common in European countries and many countries around the world to have not a two-party system, you know. And it, yeah. It makes much more sense and representation is much better that way. 
Well, well, Tracy, thanks for that. Uh, Andy writes, we already have many other parties in the U.S. besides Democrats and Republicans. However, our two-party system is designed to keep them on the sidelines. The parliamentary form of government allows for coalition building between multiple voices and differing points of view. What this country needs is a proportional representation system rather than the current winner-takes-all hegemony of two-party rule. I'm hearing sort of some similarities between what Andy and what Tracy just said to us. You know, Mindy Romero, you mentioned that California has six parties. Can you just remind us the scope of the third party system in California, how robust they are? Just give us a little overview. Sure. And and we're not uh, that different, certainly from other states as well. But for us, we've got six official recognized parties. That doesn't mean that those are the only choices people have. People, when they register to vote, they can write in a different party. But to be officially recognized, there are, as I mentioned, you know, a certain process that parties have to go through. So what we have is the American Independent Party uh, that has historically gotten much confusion. People think sometimes when they're registering for that, they're registering as independent. Um, of course, the Democratic Republican parties, Green Party, Libertarian, um, and the Peace and Freedom Party. And just to give a sense here, the all of those, no, well, the four that are not Republican and Democrat combined, you look at our current registration rules in California, only about five and a half percent are those four parties combined. So, you know, very small numbers. Again, I just want to emphasize, though, that there are reasons for that um, resources to be able to outreach right for people to most people don't even know the existence of all of those parties. Most people don't receive outreach or notification or messages. Um, many voters don't receive messages um, sometimes in some elections from even Democrats and, and Republicans. So it's difficult. We think of there being such a large difference between the major two parties and other parties, but a lot of voters don't get, particularly underrepresented, historically underrepresented groups, don't get all of that outreach and information and contact. And so sometimes it's very hard for them to to understand or know the differences, to really, again, feel it salient if they vote, and then try to figure out independent or, or third parties. And I'll just say one last thing too, if I may, All of this has huge consequences for the strength of our democracy. I think that's obvious, but in one particular way, how high our turnout is. Mm. So the U.S. historically, the U.S. has some of the lowest, by far, voter turnout of any established democracy in the world. There's lots of reasons for that. But one reason is that we have a system, again, that uh, favors two parties and just period, uh, does not favor a lot of competition or produce a lot of competition. And... If you look at just turnout, let's just look at 2020 general election here in California. Turnout for people who registered as a third party or as a combined, that, that number I gave you a moment ago, or just as no party preference was about nine, almost 10 percentage points lower registered turnout than than the overall turnout rate. So if you're in a no party preference, you don't declare a party, or if you're in a third party, you know, in 2020 and certainly, you know, historically, I know from just our research at my center, Center for Inclusive Democracy, people don't turn out as much. And again, there's real reasons for that. Sometimes it's a self-selection process, right? They're the very reason why they're choosing a third party or no party is because they feel disconnected. Um, but also there isn't that machine of outreach. By definition, they're not going to get as much outreach and connection. Um, and I want to just make that point that there are real consequences to the strength of our democracy, to representation, how many people actually turn out and, and are involved in the decisions, you know, on the ballot that impact them, all of us. Yeah. So what I'm hearing you say is that people who tend to register with a third party uh, or no party preference don't necessarily tend to turn out to vote. Well, they turn out in lower. So we just look right. at straight 
registered turnout numbers, people who are registered no party preference or registered um, as a third party combined turnout in lower percentages. Now, mm-hmm. if I was going to get into the research, yeah, yeah. If I was going to get into the research, there's, you know, again, reasons for that. But if we just look at this great numbers, we know that people who are registered as third parties in California are turning out as a group. Um, consistently election after election in, in a, you know, lower, as I said, in 2020, it was about nine, almost 10 percentage points more than the overall turnout yeah. rate. What yeah. lessons do you think are there for parties like the forward party that want to be a viable third party? Lessons from the state of California in terms of this kind of voter behavior, Mindy Romero? Yeah, I think, well, I think generally, um, certainly getting their message out, having the resources to actually connect with voters is the absolute critical thing, right? And certainly connect with voters that might, if they're strategic about it, right, might be more likely uh, to be interested in hearing their message and joining a third party. But I, I you know, I should note, um, for all the things that have been said about the forward party, so far, what I've seen uh, is not a lot on the message. I, and I know that was noted earlier that they're still developing, I guess, their platform. We'll have to see what happens. But right now, it's really functioning more like a voting block, um, or at least its, its goals and its purposes, more like a voting block than a party. And I think we'll have to see uh, as time goes on what uh, what their actual platform is, what they are actually for. Sorry, I hear a little bit of an echo. Um, what their stand is uh, on issues, how detailed they get, and if they actually in the long run function like a party. That's going to be a huge, you know, a voting mm-hmm. block by definition is temporary. I yeah. just want to point that out. Um, a party is supposed to be for the long haul, again, though, with all the challenges that we've already noted. It's an interesting point. Well, let me read a couple of listener comments. This listener tweets, I have been registered with a third party for 20 years, but the Democrats are my ideal party right now. So it's easy to vote down the ballot for them at this time. Personally, I am sort of thinking Yang is just mad he didn't get more votes. A centrist party right now will help the far right by taking away votes from Democrats. It's why I don't vote third party anymore. Roger writes, I voted for Ross Perot as I thought he wasn't beholden to entrenched interests. His ideas were clear and would have been effective at moving the country toward the ideals of the founders. I think we really need a more centrist, pragmatic alternative at this time in our history. We need to broaden the tent and listen to ideas from across the political spectrum. I hope they're successful in launching a viable third party. Eric Schickler, so a couple of things that these comments are making me think about. One is Rogers making me remember Ross Perot. And can you just remind us of the times in U.S. history when we would say that third parties or attempts at alternatives have been successful, the exceptions to the rule? Sure. I think the most important cases of third party success have been when the two main parties are ignoring an issue or down or sidestepping an issue where uh, where there's a group of Americans, a kind of grassroots movement that really cares about that issue. So I think the most important would be the anti-slavery movement in the 1840s and 50s, where the two main parties, Whigs and Democrats, basically tried to ignore the issue and first the Free Soil Party and then the Republicans forced it on the agenda building off of a ma- of a growing movement among Northern abolitionists. Um, another example is in the late 19th century where there's a lot of discontent among farmers and basically the two Democrats and Republicans, the two main parties are ignoring that discontent and you get the populist party that develops as a third party and essentially uh, fuses with the Democrats. The Democrats kind of take, absorb the populists and become a vehicle for some of their policy initiatives. And again, it's when you have 
discontent with the parties for failing to respond to kind of major policy demand coming from voters or group of voters where Mm. third parties have had the greatest impact. So then the second thing that Roger said was that uh, Roger would like to see a centrist party. And the forward party has cited the poll saying that there's a record number of Americans saying they want a third party. And they've also cited in that same poll that there was, I don't know if it was a record high, but a very, very high number of people declaring themselves independents. But I guess the question is, are we sure that independent means you're a centrist? Or if you're a no party preference, it means that you want a centrist party? Eric Schickler. Yeah, the research on that shows that independents are really quite diverse. And uh, one thing to note, especially is that the number of what's of pure independence, that is people who don't lean toward one party or the other, is actually pretty small, about 10 to 15%. A lot of the other folks who say they're independents, when you ask them follow-up questions, actually lean toward the Democrats or lean toward the Republicans. And those leaners actually vote in quite a partisan way. Um, And so I I think it's important to separate out the discontent with the party system, which I think the forward party individuals are exactly right. There's a lot of dissatisfaction, but that doesn't mean that there's a broad agreement about what the alternative should look like. And again, um, and and I think that's one of the real challenges of a kind of, of a centrist party right now is that, you know, most voters when it comes to issues like, for example, abortion, um, actually have a relatively clear view. And, and so, they're going to see a clear choice between the two parties and likely to want to select the party that better represents that viewpoint. Yeah, go ahead, Mindy. One item there too, Um, you know, in a state like California, and I I know Eric is aware of this too, uh, our independents, which are uh, quite numerous, about about 22 or so percent of our registered voters are registers, no party preference as we think of them as independent. Um, And they do lean in a state like California, more democratic. Um, it depends on the state you're in, certainly. I was going to just note, um, you know, when we're talking about, um, you know, the the viability of uh, of a, a third party, we have to just kind of recognize also the the uniquely polarized times in which we're in, and the fact that, and I think maybe Eric was alluding to this, the fact that so many um, uh, Americans and Californians are not thinking as centrist. Uh, uh, as, as we may be thinking they are, um, even if we just look at our registration rules, which is just not the only uh, indicator, of course, but we've actually just recent years um, become a little bit more um, uh, in terms of the registered in terms of the top two parties, um, more people declaring, I think, since 2016, a party versus no party preference. Some of the, the trends have changed a little bit. Um, and, you know, I think it's a difficult time. It, to talk about being centrist when the reality of all the messages that people are getting, the conversations people are having, the the very emotional kind of context around many of these issues, uh, that it, it may sound good, but I think it's it's going to be a difficult sell to many voters. And of course, I'm not predicting or saying that the forward party is something that's appropriate or not appropriate, but I, I think they've got their work ahead. And, and also, I'm not quite sure how well they're funded. Um, is the other part of this. I mentioned earlier that they need to be well-funded to get their message out and message out very, in a very also targeted way. Um, and I'm not quite sure, you know, what, what they're looking at right now in terms of funding. And of course, I'm sure they're hoping that this kind of relaunch and consolidation will help them 
gain some of the the donations and donors and benefactors that will get them to where they want to go. Right. Well, here's how listener Todd sees the divisiveness you were talking about earlier. Todd writes, how will a country founded on the negotiation of slavery and no slavery bifurcation ever break that pattern when a civil war failed to do so? Pro versus no slavery still seems to be the overriding binary we're dealing with today, the resulting parties with more loyalty to themselves than to the constitutional institutions they should be loyal to. Let me go to caller Eric in Palo Alto. Hi, Eric. Hi. Thanks for thanks for taking my call. Anyway, just nice discussion. Just wanted to bring up a couple of things that historic I'm I'm old enough to remember Ross Perot. I'm old enough to remember Ralph Nader. I'm I'm old enough to remember the John Birch Society. I'm old enough to remember <laughs> all these different factions of our political hemispheres and our dynamics. One thing I wanted to bring up is with the Electoral College and the position we are with them now, as you know, you can see from the phony Electoral College, this is going to be a big uh, stopping point where people, when it's five or six states that are actually, you know, determining the election. Um, on, on Rachel's show the other night, they talked about an evangelical candidate in 1916. I can't remember his name right now, but there's so many fractalized parties. Um, the way I talk to people about it is people are so uninformed. They're either like Beatles people or Elvis people. So it, it's really hard to think of Yang and the guys putting together a really convincing third party. But the Electoral College is something that is part of this very complicated thing we call American elections. So mm. thank you very much for letting me talk. And Thanks. I really appreciate this discussion. Well, Eric, thanks for your comment. I'm curious, Eric Schickler, if you have any thoughts on the role the Electoral College plays and what we're talking about today with the viability of third parties. Yeah, uh, the Electoral College definitely is one additional contributing factor making it harder for third parties. Um, it, uh, by, um, you know, just the stakes, again, go back to the example of Nader, where, you know, uh, just a small number of votes for a third party in Florida, um, you know, tilted the outcome. And so uh, the pressure to coordinate, one thing about the Electoral College, what it does is create a strong incentive to try to coordinate on one team that can run across the whole country and get a majority of votes. And so, again, I, th I think it's, as, as Mindy pointed out, thinking about the institutional rules that stack the deck in favor of the two main parties is, is really important. As we as we think about the viability of this this uh, new entry, Eric Schickler, co-director of the Institute of Governmental Studies at UC Berkeley, Mindy Romero, founder and director of the Center for Inclusive Democracy at the University of Southern California. You, our listeners, are with us listening to Forum talking about the viability of a third party. As many Americans say, that's what they want. We'll have more after the break. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com.
We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. After announcement, an announcement this week that a group of former presidential candidates and some elected officials from both Democrat and Republican parties were forming a new forward party, we thought we'd talk about the viability and history of third parties in the U.S. and California with Mindy Romero of the Center for Inclusive Democracy at USC and Eric Schickler of the Institute of Governmental Studies at UC Berkeley. And with you, our listeners, telling us how you feel about third parties, if you're a member, why or why not, and what your thoughts are on what needs to happen to make third parties viable and more Aligned with what you would like to see in government, you're emailing us at forum at kqed.org, finding us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum, or giving us a call, 866-733-6786. Let me go to caller Karen. Hi, Karen. Thanks for waiting. Hi. Um, I'm not for third parties because we don't have a parliamentary form of government, as has been commented on. Um I think the current Republican Party is extremist and threatens democracy right now, and it's an emergency, and I think people need to get involved. And I think Andrew Yang and the others that he's trying to form this party with should be focusing on things like passing the Voting Rights Act in the Senate and demanding that and trying to get an end to gerrymandering and other things that are threatening our democracy right now. Well, Karen, thanks for sharing where you stand on that. Let me go to Frank in Point Richmond. Hi, Frank. Yeah, hi. Thanks for having me. So uh, I grew up in in Germany, and so that's a multi-party system. And so I worked, I have voted always for third parties in a way. Uh, I am desperately waiting for uh, Republicans to come forward and split the Republican Party to form effectively a third party on on the conservative side. I think that would be the only way uh, how I see hope for our for our democratic system. Um, I also wanted to quickly point out one point. I think Eric was missing when uh, earlier when he was talking about benefits of uh, of a multi-party system, and this is uh, the element of competition. So what we can actually observe in in countries like Germany that the real competition of the established main big parties come not from the opposite side but they come from smaller parties that compete with them and often they're on the more extreme spectrum. So in that way, for example, a uh, Republican centrist party may be founded by Liz Cheney. Even, even if that party would effectively offer a real alternative for conservative people, and the same would be true on, on, on the leftist side. Of course, our system... Uh, has this spoiler problem, and we just really need to force this uh, mm. to to make this problem go away. And I think it would be forced automatically. Let's say 
the uh, Republican Party would split. I also think then a real split would occur on the left side as well because the spoiler argument would fall away. And then they all would have to figure out how to change the system so it works effectively with multiple parties. So well, thank you Frank, for taking my comment. Yeah, thank you for calling, um, Eric. I'll have you comment if you'd like on what Frank said, but I will just read Jess's comment. I won't be supporting a third left progressive party as a registered Democrat until or unless there is a fourth Republican Party to split votes from the dangerous juggernaut. Until that happens, the risk is just too high that voting for the third party will simply cause losses for the left. Eric, your thoughts? Yeah, well, I I think what I would say is I actually agree with the caller that there are a lot of advantages to a multi-party system, uh, especially reflecting the diversity of the country. There are, you know, there is a wide range of views and having more parties allows for different sets of views to exert pressure in our system. I, I think what I'd emphasize, though, is that to get there, we would need changes in the rules of the game. You'd need reforms in how our elections are conducted that make it possible for third parties to compete successfully. So if you take the Liz Cheney example, I mean, I think many Democrats dream of Liz Cheney running as a third party candidate because that would take votes away from, if she were successful, take votes away from a Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis. Uh, but the knowledge that that's what's going to would happen would also, in all likelihood, lead the vast majority of Republican-leaning voters, conservative voters, not to go with that option because of the spoiler logic. So again, we'd need to change the rules, the institutions, to get the gains that the caller, I think, rightly is pointing to. Well, here are a couple of other comments. Nalayini writes, as your guests said, the fear of taking votes away from the candidate who is more aligned with my preferred ideology is the main reason that I don't vote for a third party. I have voted for a third party when I was sure that my preferred ideological candidate will win as a way to give a boost to the third party who is much more aligned with my views. It's not ideal. Ranked choice voting will be much better. Another listener tweets, this is visionary, but basic voting rights are being attacked. And wouldn't ranked choice voting lead to more candidates fighting or questioning the outcome? Not accepting the results is the new thing. Well, Minnie, let me go to you first on this. We've mentioned ranked choice voting as a way to make it easier for third parties to gain political influence. But what are your thoughts on what some of these listeners are asking about with regard to the effectiveness of ranked choice voting? Sure. Well, we should just note, of course, in the Bay Area, there's a number of cities that uh, do have a form of ranked choice voting, like Berkeley, San Francisco, uh, Albany, Oakland, um, and they are... Pardon? Yep, you're right. Yeah, which is partly why I wanted to go to you on that. Since we have examples of that here, what would you say to these listeners? And I just want to note they're leading the 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 conversation nationally and also are the the the, the examples that everybody's looking for in terms of trying to understand how this actually is working and, and what the impacts around this switch, this change the system is. Um, I would say that, you know, one one question that people have around ranked choice voting is just does it impact turnout over, overall? Does it make people want to come out to the to the to the polls more because they have right this ability to kind of rank and 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 make more more nuanced vote, if you will? Um, I think there's some evidence. Um, certainly, the proponents of ranked choice voting have put forward that 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 says that you know it's increasing turnout. As a researcher in the long haul, I think that's still an open question. Uh, and certainly, demographics um, a lot of details play into how we would conduct that research and how we do conduct that research. Um, 
I think maybe the the bigger question, just to, t- to tie it, if I may, into what we were talking about before, is you know you have ranked choice voting still within a larger system, right? That where the rules are locked in. So we have ranked choice voting, but we still have single member districts, for instance, right? And we still have a dominant two party in terms of resources. Um, we still have majority or plurality um, rule. Um, if we had a true multi-party system, we also would need to have, I would argue, um, multi-member districts. So when people are looking at their choices, that those multiple parties are actually all really viable, right? So you you can choose your parties, you can choose the one that exactly matches who you are, what your beliefs are, um, and that that individual can be part of that multi-member district. Um, it can be very encouraging in terms of turnout. We've seen that around the world. It can also be complicated because it creates coalitions, the need for coalitions when you have a multi-party system and multi-member districts. Uh, that also can, can, lead, can lead in some ways to people feeling like um, those compromises that, that are made within coalitions don't ultimately reflect the, the wishes and desires of the people who voted in the first place for those candidates. So there's pros and cons. I want to just note between multi-member and single member and, you know, these different systems, ranked choice, ordinal, um, categorical ballots. Uh, the, the issue with ranked choice, I think there's a lot of promise there, certainly. And again, the Bay Area is leading the way. The, the question is, in and of itself within the current system, it poses a lot of, maybe I'll, lead, I'll, I'll close with this, it poses a lot of challenges for the ranked choice system, um, given that we haven't changed the other rules of the game, if that makes sense. Um, so, and there are of course many efforts, you know, uh, trying to argue for other system changes, but the reality is um, to have really substantial changes across the United States in our electoral system requires the people who benefited from the system who are in place, our elected leaders, our policymakers to make changes. And typically um, those that, you know, uh, succeeded at a system or succeeded at a game um, don't want to make changes to the rules of the game, right? Because that may um, impact their ability to get reelected, right? Or to stay in po- uh, power. Yeah. So I just note that the reality of, you know, I'm talking about the need potentially for changes, or at least the need for conversation around changes to the institutional rules of the game. But there's a huge reality, a whole political system of history and apparatus, incentives, people making money off of that, power structures that come from that, um, of course, that have incredible consequences for people. It's, it's, uh, it's a, an enormous challenge to really start to fundamentally change the rules of the game on a massive scale. Um, and we a lot of our conversations at the national level, I do want to just recognize that sometimes the local level is more viable for third parties. We talk about the spoiler alert, right, in the presidential race, um, but I do think there's a lot of opportunity at the local level. And certainly if you look at like, you know, the Green Party or the Libertarian Party, that's where they have had some gains in some places around the country. So I'll end, I'll, I'll end that there. Well, along those lines, um, Catherine tweets, third parties need to start with local races, not the top of the system. People will vote for candidates they know, such as the local green city officials in Arcata. Declaring a new party for federal offices is a vanity move likely to take votes from Democrats. Let me go to James in Oakland. Hi, James. Hi, how are you doing today? I'm well. So I, I believe that, yes, they have to start small. It's like the... Uh, the previous um, person said, is you have to do grassroots. And to do that, you have to talk with the youth. 
You have to talk with the seniors in high school. You have to talk with the college kids. And you've got to have a strong, strong platform where everybody can just take it and, and build from there. And you've got to go state to state. You can't do it on a national level because it's not going to work. Because people, again, is always, like you said earlier, is a conflict of interest. Why would they change the rules of the game if they benefit from it? So you have to start with the youth first. And if the youth believe in that strong platform, then they, and they, they will spread the word. You know, you got all this social media network with the youth are on. People need to utilize that to get their plat- the strong platform out there, and then it'll grow from there. It's going to take time. You know, it's not going to happen overnight because the, the people who are in power already, they don't want it. You know, if they wanted it, we would have changed a long time ago. Yeah, similar to what Mindy was saying. Um, if you've benefited from the system, it's hard to try to be willing and open to changing it. James, thanks. We're talking this hour about why there's record high desire for a third party in the viability and history of third parties in the U.S. with Eric Schickler and Mindy Romero. And you are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Eric, Mindy was mentioning major changes to the system. And can you just explain this for me? When the forward party was announcing its launch or its upcoming launch, they described themselves as proposing an open party, meaning that Democrats, Republicans, and independents could be part of the process, and in some ways almost suggesting that people could vote for a forward party member and also uh, be affiliated with their with their parties. Is that the same thing as what's <clears throat> being talked about as fusion voting? <laughs> Can you explain that to me? Yeah, so there, I think the party's been a little vague about this, but one successful model for third parties that worked really well in the 19th century was what's called fusion voting which was that essentially a candidate could be endorsed by multiple parties and would essentially appear on a ballot. You could vote for this candidate as a Democrat, or you could vote for the candidate as a populist. And the two sets of votes would be added together, and that would be the candidate's total votes. And what happened in the late 19th century is the two main parties basically banned fusion voting across the vast majority of states. And that's one of the big obstacles to third parties in, in the U.S. is that it makes it harder to pursue that kind of co-endorsement strategy. So if, for example, third parties, if this movement were able to change the ballot laws to allow fusion voting, then what they could do is basically go to the Democrat and Republican in each, say, House race and say, well, if you're willing to support these policies or this platform, we'll give you our line on the ballot as well. And you can run as a forward party member, too. And that really would be a way to get around the spoiler logic. But again, would need legal changes. Uh, There are only a handful of states such as New York that allow fusion voting right now. So you need legal changes across a number of states to make this viable. Well, this listener writes, I'm registered in one of the two major political parties. However, I often vote for one of the four minor ones. The incentive to vote for them comes from legislation, which assures state financial assistance provided a minimum percentage of votes is received. In this sense, the playing field is more equitable as the minor parties do not have the endowments to enable them to compete. Moreover, it makes me believe that I'm not throwing my vote away by voting against both of the two major political party candidates. Mindy Romero, we focused a lot on just the challenges for third parties, but 
Do you think it would be better for our state if California's third parties were more robust? I'll put it this way. I think it's good for democracy, period, to have more competition, more viable competition, more uh, rep- greater representation uh, and diversity of ideas. Uh, again, going back to, you know, for, if we take for just a moment, take out the kind of political ramifications, right? Um, we just talk about representation and people feeling bought into their system. We just you know, had a primary in California in June, where only 27% of eligible voters, adult citizens actually cast a ballot. And that's pretty close to the norm. You know, we always have incredibly low turnout in primaries and we're struggling to get, you know, somewhat high turnout um, in midterm years or in general elections. People do feel disconnected. And I think the more we have uh, the diversity of ideas, the problem is, is to make them, as I said, though, actually viable. Yeah. Uh, Real choices that people can actually do something with uh, and and feel like um, their vote in the end actually makes a difference um, after the ballot box. Well, Al writes, I've strayed twice. I voted for Ross Perot the first time he ran, then I voted for Ralph Nader. Took a lot of heat from friends for that vote. Here's the thing. You have to vote your conscience. It'll take many election cycles to get over the hump and make third parties viable. So if we don't start now, when? I wonder, Eric Schickler, as I'm hearing Mindy talk about third parties making California more more robust or not, should we redefine what success means for a third party, you know, in terms of what they actually do to the democratic system or what role they play in strengthening democracy, as opposed to maybe winning a presidential election, for example? Yeah, I definitely think a more kind of nuanced understanding of what third parties can achieve is is more constructive. And again, some of the comments about thinking about local level impact, thinking about trying to change the incentives for the major parties, maybe trying to be a point of leverage to encourage reforms in the political system. I think that those kinds of aspirations are, are more realistic than, say, electing a president. And I think the, you know, the problem is there's that temptation to focus on the presidential candidate, and that's where the attention goes. But it is really at these other levels where there, there's more likely to be a, a real impact of a third party. Well, Eric Schickler, I really appreciate you coming on to talk with us today. Thanks so much, Mina. Great to be with you. Eric Schickler is co-director of the Institute of Governmental Studies at UC Berkeley. Mindy Romero is founder and director of the Center for Inclusive Democracy, a nonpartisan research center at USC. Thank you, listeners, for sharing your thoughts on third parties. And thank you, Susie Britton, for producing today's segment. This Hour Forum is also produced by Caroline Smith, Grace Wan, and Jennifer Eng. Marlena Jackson-Rotondo is our engagement producer. Our senior producer is Susan Davis. Our engineers are Danny Bringer, Katie McMurrin, Jim Bennett, Brendan Willard, and Christopher Beale. Our interns are Lulu Ralda and Paul C. Kelly Campos. Our executive editor is Ethan Tobin Lindsay, and our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. I'm Mina Kim. Thanks for listening to Forum. Have a great weekend. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. 
Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.